Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Remember the, the movie Little Shop of Horrors? Yeah. These people eating, yeah, feed me, Seymour. Some of you younger people you don't remember that, but King Kong a few years came out a few years ago, uh, and they had these, these uh, plants and these giant insects. They were man-eating and people-eating plants and insects, and uh, I think it's going to go good for, for what we want to share this morning. Uh, last week, we know that we came in and we talked about kingdom crops. Amen? So we learned that the Lord sows good seed. We learned that the seeds are specific for each and every one of us, that there's something special, something unique for each and every one of us. Uh, We learned that uh, there's a harvest in our lives, right? We have to be fruit bearers. There's never nothing. There's always going to be something when the Lord sows seed into our lives if we have good soil. And then we finally learned last week that uh, these mysteries that God has been withholding, he's now revealing, right? That it's all open to us, open to us in his word, open to us through prayer, open to us through fellowship and uh, the different opportunities that he gives us. This morning, our our video leads us into what I want to share this morning. The title of the message is Kingdom Crop Killers. Kingdom Crop Killers. See, there are decisions and people There are things in our lives, there's a way of planning or lack of planning, and there's a way of looking at the future and looking at our lives that can become kingdom crop killers. And we need to be aware of those things moving forward. You know, the the last part of the video, she said, there's over 750 different species, different types of these killers out there that most of us are unaware of, maybe until a little bit too late, you know. The decisions and the people, these things in our lives, uh, we have to be aware of them. So we're going to be where we were last week in uh, Matthew chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. And we're just going to go a little bit further into the chapter, uh, see what we can find here. I'm going to start from verse 24 through 30, and then I'm going to read on from 36 to 43 in Matthew 13. It says that another parable Jesus put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, say slept, Slept. say sleep, Sleep. say wake up. up. While men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares or weeds among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the weeds or the tares also appeared. So the servant of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? 
He said to them, an enemy has done this. Say enemy. enemy. The servant said to him, do you want us to then go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I'll say to the reapers, first go gather together the tares and bind them into bundles, burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Stop there at verse 36, right? The multitudes go away, but then it gets deeper. Somebody say deeper. deeper. Right? And it doesn't get deeper in the church. It gets deeper in the house. Y'all ain't ready today. <laughs> he sent the multitude away and they went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares and the field. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and he will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Ooh, it's good. Amen. Kingdom crops, kingdom killers. Amen? Amen. So I want to look at the shift this morning from last week to this week. Last week and earlier in Matthew chapter 13, we talked about the seeds that the Lord is sowing into our lives, right? We were all this field, the field of our hearts, the field of our minds, and the Lord is sowing these seeds. And when he comes looking for something, he needs to find fruit, right? These are all these things that we wanted to have in our lives, right? That we should have in our lives. The shift this week is the Lord is saying, uh, let's go bigger, Let's go wider. He says, not just the, the soil or the, 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 uh, the field of your heart and of your mind. He's saying the whole world is soil. The whole world is a field. And now we become the seed. We said before that the Lord's going to plant something in your heart, plant something in your mind. It's going to bear fruit so it can nourish you, provide for you, meet your needs. Now he's saying if you are a Christian, if you are a son or daughter of the kingdom, he says, I've planted you into the world that you would nourish and provide for the world. We become the seed this week rather than seeds being planted just for us and for our nourishment. Part of the story, though, as we read through it, uh, it feels like what the scripture is saying is, hey, listen, there's always going to be wheat, good men and women of God, right, that are going to bear fruit. They're going to have a purpose, and there's always going to be tares. There's always going to be weeds. There's always going to be bad people around that are going to be trying to choke off uh, the work of the Lord. So it might be easy to say, what's the point? What can we do about that? There's nothing that we can change about that. But one thing that uh, I'm reminded of is that the Lord says we are in the world, but we're not of the world. So he's not trying to tell us that we can somehow get away from this, uh, this idea that there's good and there's bad, there's, there's wheat and there's tares. What he's saying is, I can prepare you to deal with the tares. I can prepare you to deal with the weeds, right? I can position you in a way that they can have minimal impact instead of maximum impact yeah. upon your life. 
He's not going to take us out of the world. And like he said in the scripture, he's not going to burn up all the weeds that are around you right now. They're still going to be there, but he's going to prepare us and teach us how to deal with it. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> We've all seen people that somehow seem to grow stronger in their faith when tragedy, when tragedy strikes. We've seen people that even when they're in, under some type of attack, they grow closer to God. And we've seen the opposite, right? When there's tragedy, we've seen people who crumble, right? When there's people who are under attack, we've seen them get weaker and weaker, falling away from God, falling away from church, falling away from fellowship, right? So what's the difference? There's wheat, there's tears, there's tragedy, there's difficulty, there's storms of life, and some people will grow closer to God, some people will grow further away from God. I think it's going to come down to how we deal with the kingdom crop killers in our life. <clears throat> So the first one this morning is uh, noun is the time. <laughs> noun is the time. For all of our students over here, a noun is a person, place, or thing, right? Unless that's changed since I got out of school, right? <laughs> person, place, or thing. There are people, there are places, and there are things that are tears in our life. They have one goal, and that's to kill us, right? Are we aware this morning of who they are and what they are? They may not even know exactly what they're doing, but that's what they're doing nonetheless, right? I love in the video it talked about the fact that these plants, they didn't have brains, right? They weren't making active decisions to do this. It was just built into their nature, right? They didn't have to think about it. And how many of us, we know people that they're not doing it on purpose, but they're doing it anyway, they don't wake up in the morning and say, how can I kill this young lady? How can I kill this young man? How can I destroy that marriage? But that's what they do. Yep. It's built into their nature. It's not their fault that they do what they're built to do. It's our fault for allowing them to do it in our lives. The Venus flytrap, it said, if, if one thing touches it, it's not enough because they don't want to waste their energy you got to touch it in two or three places, and then they know that you're food, and they close down on you. The sticky one, it said, it looks like it's going to be nourishing. How many of us have seen something that, oh, that looks sweet? <laughs> I'm thirsty, and that looks like it's going to quench my thirst. I've heard that people who have drank that, man, they enjoy it. And as soon as they get close, you saw in the video, it touched one little sticky part, and then the rest of it closed up on it. And before we know it, we're trapped. Yeah. We're literally stuck. <clears throat> and then the pitcher, it said it didn't even have to do anything. It's just sitting there open. It's got the juices in. It doesn't move. It doesn't put forth any effort. We get ourselves in that one. Kingdom crop killers. They're everywhere. That's only, there was four in the video, and she said there's over 750. I wonder how many you're close to right now. I was thinking about some of the things in our society. We now have weed shops, excuse me, dispensaries. <laughs> oh, but it's legal now, right? I think it's funny, the, the, the main one that at least I see on billboards and TV is called MedMen, but they cut off everybody's faces. Because it's cool and it's legal and we got delivery trucks and we got billboards, but nobody wants to put their actual face on it. The local bar, right? You're 21, you can go in there. The liquor store. 
We used to have video stores. Now you just have Redbox, but in the video stores, they had an adult section. I remember as a kid thinking, what is the adult section? I can't wait to go in there. <laughs> you don't want to go in there. Now we still have cable channels that show certain things at certain times, right? There's certain uh, trips that people like to take with family and with friends, certain places we like to go with family and with friends. There's certain seasons, if you think back to being in high school, right? Homecoming season, prom season, right? Graduation season. Certain days of the year for the rest of us, Valentine's Day, it's coming up in like a month, right? New Year's Eve. See, in and of themselves, none of these things seem all that bad. And they're legal. But how many of us have found that some of those places, people, and things have actually been kingdom crop killers in our lives? Didn't seem like much, but once you got in it, all of a sudden you're drowning. Didn't seem like much, but once it got a hold of you, all of a sudden it's choking the life out of you. We were just taking a little turnaround trip to Vegas. They gave us a free hotel room. I mean, everybody's going. No need to come home tonight. I'm 21. I'm just going to have a glass. I'm just going to have one or two. And they're not even putting forth any effort. They're like the pitcher plant, where it's just there for you. They don't have to do anything. Verse 25 and verse 26 of uh, Matthew 13 this morning says, But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. Man, we can't get caught sleeping. <laughs> Even when we're sleeping, we can't get caught sleeping. <laughs> I'm going to make that make sense in a second here. <laughs> Yesterday, somebody called me. I'm not going to tell you who it was, but it was Gary. <laughs> and he said, hey, uh, I'm, at, I'm at Home Depot, and uh, I want to pick your brain. I want to get your opinion on some cameras and some lights. I know you have some stuff, and I'm going to buy some stuff for the house. And at first, I thought he was going a little bit overboard. He's like, man, I'm going to have eight spotlights in the front, 12 in the back, video cameras like a drone always over my house. <laughs> I was like, dude, calm down. It's not that serious. You live in Brea. <laughs> but as we started talking, right, and he's asking me, well, what do you have at your house? And we're talking about alarm systems and cameras and, and lights and all that kind of stuff. And as we're talking, I'm like, you know what, man? You're exactly right. Go for it. Uh. There, you cannot put a price tag on peace and on peace of mind and on safety. You're talking about your family. Would you rather spend a little bit more money on lights and on a camera or have to deal with somebody breaking in and taking something or hurting somebody? Amen. See, the scripture said that over time, once the grain had sprouted, that's when the real plan of the enemy was able to be seen, right? It didn't say like right in the beginning, there's, there's the weeds and you can see them. No, it says that you went out, you planted, you watered, your crop is growing, and then all of a sudden you start looking like, man, there's weeds everywhere in the middle of my crop. That's how the enemy is, right? The enemy's scouting out your house. Yeah. The enemy's looking at your schedule to see when you're coming and when you're going. The enemy knows when you go on vacation, and that's when they rob you. So how do you defend against that? You go buy the lights. 
You go get the camera, even before you see the enemy sprouting up and coming to attack. Enemy can't catch you sleeping, can't catch you out of town if you've done something to prevent his operations. <clears throat> can we avoid going to sleep? No. Can we avoid going out of town and enjoying our family like the Lord uh, wants us to do? No. But eventually the enemy will kill us if we allow him to go unchecked. Amen. We can't, at the same time as we're living the life God has called us to live, leave the enemy unchecked. Requires labor. Last week, I think we learned something about uh, present labor and future vision. What are the places, the things, the people in your life that are eventually going to kill your crops if you continue to let them go unchecked? Right now, you feel fine. Right now, nothing's been stolen. Right now, there's no death. But think about it. Is there someone, something, or some place that is able to move freely in your life right now that maybe tomorrow, six months from now, two years from now, all of a sudden you're going to be like, how did I get trapped in this thing that's got me stuck? How did I get into this pool of goo that I cannot swim out of? The one that I liked the best, I think it was, uh, uh, I think it might have been one of the pitcher ones. It said that once you get down into the neck of the thing, there's downward pointing hairs that you can't even climb up without killing yourself trying to get out. I was like, man, that's how the enemy is. <laughs> he gets you so deep that it hurts too much to even try to climb out. It might not seem like it's doing much harm right now, but if you keep giving it time, you wait and see. When people come into your lives and they try to say in a loving way, in a kind way, and sometimes not in a very kind way, like, hey, you need to get off of the rim of that thing. You've already touched one of the hairs on this Venus flytrap. Stop. And we turn to them and say, who are you to tell me what I should or shouldn't be doing? And then we get angry with them when we're stuck inside that Venus flytrap and they're living their life and they're saying, hey, I can't get in there and get you out now. <clears throat> this is 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. So it happened in the spring of that year, at the time when kings go out to, to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. And it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he laid with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she went and told David and said, I am with child. David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, 
Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my lord, Joab, and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Stop there at verse 11 real quick. Gary shared an offering testimony or scripture with us this morning that said, the Lord says, how can you go to your house and do your thing when my house lies in ruins? And some of that was maybe a little bit hard for us to connect, but Uriah is saying the same thing. How can I go to my house and lie with my wife and eat when the ark of the Lord is out there and all of Israel and all of Judah is out there and my, my commander is out there? How can I do my thing when the Lord's thing is in battle? That's what Uriah is saying to the king right now. He says, as the Lord lives and as you live, I'll never act like that. <laughs> I wonder if any of us were saying that during offering and, and tithe this morning. As the Lord lives... I'll never care more about my thing than his thing. Verse 12. David said to Uriah, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I'll let you depart. So Uriah you may, remained in Jerusalem that day and the next day. And when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. Now jump forward to verse 26. It says, When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David did or had done displeased the Lord. What a story, right? So we're talking about noun is the time, person, place, or thing. The persons involved in this story, you have David, you have Bathsheba, you have Uriah, and you have Joab. The interesting part about this is that all of them are, are men and women of the kingdom. I'm talking to men and women of the kingdom this morning, Amen. So those are the persons. What about the places? David's at home instead of at battle. It says this was the time, this was the season. He should be out there doing things, but instead he was at home. Many of us, the place that we find ourselves is at home. The place where we find ourselves is in comfort. When it's a season where God is saying, get out of your home, get out of your comfort, go to where I've called you to go. Another place David and Bathsheba find themselves wandering around on their rooftops. <laughs> you got too much time on your hands if you're just wandering around on your rooftop. Right. <laughs> How many of you, if you're honest, Mary, Mary sent me a, uh, a little meme or text or picture, whatever it was, and it, what did it say, babe? When, when your wife says she's out running errands, it really means that she's at home goods sniffing candles and, <laughs> and filling blankets or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> the point is what? That's wandering around on the rooftop. When you're just hanging out aimlessly. When you're not where you're supposed to be and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. We can all fall into that category somewhere. We can look at David and say, you're a king. You should be fighting. You should be in battle. What are you doing on your rooftop? But what about you? What about me? 
None of us walk around on our rooftops like they did in, in David's day and age, right? But we still do the same thing in a spiritual sense where we're moving around aimlessly, waiting for trouble. <laughs> and then we wonder how we got in trouble. We're just flying around. That looks like a nice Venus flytrap. <laughs> and we wonder why we fall into it. So persons and places are important. And then the things. What are the things in this story that stand out as we read it? First, first thing is sex. Shouldn't even have been there. Shouldn't have been in the place he was. Had somewhere else that he should have been. And then they fall into sex. David and Bathsheba. Next thing I see in this story is, is drinking. All this stuff is going on and, and who's battling and who should be where they should be. And, right, and, and Uriah's back here and he's saying Joab's out there fighting. And what does it say? They start eating and drinking and, and it says that Uriah gets drunk. He was like the bright shining star in the story, wasn't he, up until this point? Now he's faded, drunk, at David's house, sleeping on the porch. Still doesn't want to go home because he's kind of righteous, but he's faded and, and sleeping on the porch. Another thing I see here is, is positions and titles. Why would Joab, he's the commander of the army right now, but he's more concerned with pleasing David than he is with commanding the way that he should be commanding. Sometimes our position, sometimes our title, right, can make us behave in a way that we shouldn't as men and women of the kingdom. And then let's look at how sin is a kingdom crop killer. David becomes a murderer. This is King David. The lowest of his family, but chosen by God, serves Saul, gets anointed, kills the Philistine, becomes the king. This is King David. He's got like the best story. And now he's murdering this man. Because of a person, a place, and a thing. Because of sin. It's a kingdom crop killer. What about Bathsheba? In one fell swoop, she becomes an adulteress and then she becomes a widow. I wonder what she was growing. <laughs> I wonder what her crops looked like before this day. I wonder how long the enemy had been planning it. Maybe six months before, he's like, yeah, you should start bathing on, on the top of the house. And she probably thought no big deal that first day, that first week, those first months. And then the enemy's like, today's the day. All her other crops, gone. Now she's an adulteress and now she's a widow. What about Uriah? Because of the sin of somebody else, he loses his wife, everything that they had been building and fighting for, and then he loses his life on top of it. Man, you see how sin just, <laughs> it knows no bounds? These are kingdom people we're talking about, church. And then Joab, he set out to fight against an enemy with the men of God. And because of sin, he ends up fighting against his own men of God with the enemy. He's using the enemy to kill his own men. Man, kingdom crop killers are no joke. All of this because of persons, places, and things that can so easily do the same things in our lives if we allow it. Amen. You know, I love it when people say it's an old book and it's outdated and it doesn't apply to us. This applies to me. <laughs> what are the 
people, places, and things in your life that even if you backtrack, have already done this to you, and then which ones are you allowing to grow right now that are gonna do the same? It's only a matter of time. James 1.14 says, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So last week we looked at the last portion of this, this uh, verse where it said the good gifts come down from above. God is sending good seed. He's going to bless your life. It's going to bear a great crop. You're going to have fruit like crazy. But the first half of it says, don't forget about the enemy. Don't forget about sin. Don't forget about people, places, and things that are kingdom crop killers. They will entice you. They'll play to your desires, right? But when it's conceived, it's going to give birth to sin, and sin is going to bring forth death every single time. Undefeated. So let's look at the end of the story with, with David, Bathsheba, Joab, Uriah. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14 goes on to say, uh, David's now basically at church. He's talking to the priest. He's talking to the prophet Nathan. And he says to him, However, because of, by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. The servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this that you've done? You fasted and wept for the child when he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him but he shall not return to me. Last week, we talked about the things that we planted in 2018 and how they're bearing fruit, hopefully, right now in 2019. We talked about how the things that we're planting right now in 2019 will hopefully bear fruit, bless us, and nourish us in 2020. But we have to also be aware that the enemy has sown kingdom crop killers into our fields. And there's things he planted last year that want to kill some stuff this year. There's some things that he wants to plant this year that want to kill some stuff in your life next year. We cannot allow him to go unchecked. 
what happened with David and Bathsheba and everybody else associated with it, eventually it ran its course and it led to death. This morning we had prayer. Prayer is a weed killer. David looks up and he says, I got weeds. I made mistakes. I made bad decisions. I killed somebody. What should I do? He fasts and he prays. Why? What he's saying is, there's still a chance for grace. There's still a chance for mercy. Maybe God will do something and I won't have to suffer the death that comes along with these decisions. Sometimes God is merciful. Somebody say amen. Amen. There's been times where I've been in situations like this where you're like, there's no getting out of this. I'm dead wrong. I'm already in the Venus flytrap. Death is on its way. And then miraculously, God will open the Venus flytrap and let you out. You're like, oh, God. Oh, God. You're so good. We pray for those things. And then there's other times where you're praying and praying and praying, and it's just getting tighter and tighter and tighter. Those digestive enzymes are eating you alive, and death is coming. It just is what it is. And you know what David's response was after that? After that, He went back to church and he worshiped and he prayed. Amen. Prayer is a weed killer. Amen. How many were here for prayer this morning? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> How many of you have it in your calendar for praying in the Spirit later this month? How many of you can track in the last week how many times you actually specifically went into prayer? Then don't be surprised when your crops are killed. This message is going forth. And you know, just like at the end of every other message, there's going to be an altar call where you can come and say, Lord, I want to deal with weeds. I know they're there because I can't escape them, but I don't want them to have the same effect they've had in the past and what I know the enemy is going to try to do, so I want to come and be proactive to try to deal with them. That's what the altar is for. You hear, you pray. You hear, you respond. The altar is like Gary calling me yesterday saying, I'm at Home Depot. I'm about to buy lights and cameras. Why? Because I know the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and I want to prevent him from doing that. That's like the altar. We come to the Lord and we say, look, Lord, we see you. We know what you are capable of doing. We see the enemy and we know what he's trying to do. We're coming with you. (laughs) How many of you think the altar is much better when you come in prevention than when you come like David when death is at the doorstep? Now is the time. The problem is kingdom crop killers, right? The people, the places, and the things that we need to be aware of, avoid, change, shift, whatever it is that we have to do. I want to look at, for the last few minutes this morning, some of the answers. It's good to know the problem. Kingdom crop killers are out there. Tears, weeds. What about some answers? Last few verses of Matthew 13, I want to read 44 through 46. Jesus is still talking, right? He sends everybody away, takes the disciples a little bit deeper. They come into the house. He starts explaining some things to them, and he wants to keep going further with them. In verse 44, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. One of the answers, I believe, is replanting. I want to paint this picture for you from these verses. You find a treasure in a field. You take that treasure, and it says that he went and hid it in another field. Say another field. Another field. So... There you go, plant that thing, girl. So listen, it says that a man found a treasure in a field, takes that, and he goes into another field and he plants it there. Then he sells everything that he has, and he goes and he buys that new field, right? It says that you're a merchant now, or you're a shopper, and you're going around looking for a particular pearl, or something that's very, very valuable, but there's one that you've been looking for, these types that you're looking for. Then he says, when you find that pearl or you find that seed, you sell everything that you have and you buy that one. When you realize how valuable your seed is and how important the environment that that seed grows in, you'll be willing to get rid of everything and sell everything else in your life for that. God says, you're the seed. (laughs) You're the seed of the world. You're supposed to grow, bless, nourish, and provide what the world needs. So you've been looking for your whole life for something valuable, something worth your time, something worth your resources. And all of a sudden, God says, you're it. I want to live inside of you. You're the seed of the world. You have all the value. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to say, man, this is what I've always been looking for, right? I'll sell everything else that I have, and I'll I'll take this one, Lord. (laughs) This life, this life, this life, this life. Then he says, but what about where we're going to plant this seed? I've got the treasure now. It's Christ alive inside of me, the hope of glory. Christ lives with me. I'm the seed, and I'm of his kind. I'm just like him. So where should I be planted? It says that once you find it, right, you take that treasure out of where it was where you found it, you go put it in another field, then you sell everything you have. Who wants my old field? Half price. You can have it. Who wants my old life, old people, old places, old things, wholesale? It's all gone. And when it's all gone, what do I have left? I got this new field with treasure in it, this new seed of life and salvation in me, and now I'm ready to roll. I thought replanting for number two was important this morning because many of us, we never moved when we got saved. We never moved. We stayed right where we were. We were saved now. We got this seed in us, but we're in this like jacked up, tore up field. And we're wondering why we're still getting choked out and we're not seeing a lot of kingdom crops growing. We never moved. You know what a, a few of us also did though? We moved. But we never dealt with the kingdom crop killers. We moved to a new place, and the same thing that happened over there is happening here. It's just taking a little bit of time. 
I think in the beginning of this new year, some of us need to say, you know what? The way looks like a really good place to get rooted. <laughs> like really get rooted and grow in a new place, in a new way. Some of us need to say to ourselves, you know what? I think these life groups are a really good place for weed defense. <laughs> it's not a burden. It's not something to aggravate you. It's not something to make your life worse. It's to say, get out of your old field. Get into a new field with some weed defense. Yes. Some of us need to say, you know what? Those prayer services seem like a really good home security system. I got no lights and I got no cameras. <laughs> Maybe there's something to these times of prayer and what they'll develop in my life. Or you can stay in your old field doing it the old way. I'm really hoping that some of us are willing to buy something new this year, do something new this year, sell some old stuff and get a new seed, get a new crop, get a new field. There's always going to be weeds. There's always going to be kingdom crop killers. But I believe that if you address them early on, you can minimize their impact. We talked about that when, when we counsel couples. It's like, look, you're going to have a great marriage, but start doing certain things now. Same thing with parenting. Same thing with all the issues of our life. The earlier you deal with these kingdom crop killers, the less impact they'll have in your life. <clears throat> I think replanting is a great way to get another opportunity to address these kingdom killers early. Some of us look up, man, I've been saved for a year. I've been saved for five years. I've been saved for 20 years. Well, let's just replant. And then you'll have a new soil and a new place, and now you can put some of that home defense. Put the lights up early. Get the weed killer early, right? But if you stay right where you are, God says, listen, I'm going to wait till the end. I'm going to take all those weeds and burn them. I'm going to take all the wheat and put it into my barn. But he does tell us in the same portion of Scripture that you can take the seed and sell everything else. You can take the treasure, replant it, and sell everything else. So now is the time. The problem is kingdom crop killers. Replanting is important. It's the first answer, in my opinion, for the problem of these kingdom crop killers. The last answer for the problem this morning is to be regional and not local. Be regional and not local. Same portion of scripture, Matthew chapter 13. This is verse 53. Jesus is still talking. I love it when he talks. Somebody say amen. amen. It says, when it came to pass, Jesus had finished these parables... He departed from there, and when he had come to his own country, he taught them there in their synagogue, so that they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they all not with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So what does it mean to go regional and not local? Everybody that you've been talking to and praying for and inviting to church, they already know you. Those are the local yokels. 
You come into church and we say, bring in the people. Plant the seed. Pray for them. Bring them in. And you're like, I keep talking to them. They keep saying no. They keep telling me that they're going to come. Well, maybe you need to go regional. I think we need to bear fruit and we need to start trucking it out of our local neighborhoods <laughs> into regional areas. Amen. Am I saying to forget about the people that are local? We never forget about our neighborhoods. We never forget about our friends and about our family. However, just like Jesus, we need to be able to say, this is good fruit. I'm not going to keep wasting it on you guys. I give you fruit and I come over and it's rotting on your counter. Why would I do that when there's hungry people? They're just a little bit further away. You know that you have a coworker that wants to be invited to church? You know you have other family members than the six that you consistently talk to? There's a whole bunch of others that actually want to hang out with you and are willing to come to church to do it. You know that those same parents that you're texting with about what time your kids have games, where practice is, you know that you can actually ask them if they want to know the Lord, if they want to come to church, if they want to come to a life group? Mary and I get like 27 texts a week from our team for Nate. But none of us are talking to those people because we're so stuck locally. You know what Jesus did? It says that he, didn't do, he couldn't do anything because of their unbelief in Nazareth in his own little local neighborhood. Even Jesus couldn't do anything. He said, man, I'm going regional. He's like, Peter, where do you live? Capernaum? Let's go set up our headquarters at your house. And you know what Jesus did when he went over there? He left Nazareth. It wasn't that far. It was just a little bit further away. He went regional to Capernaum where Peter lived. And then, bang, the ministry explodes. People are eating the fruit like crazy. But the people that are close to him in his hometown are like, man, you're just Mary's boy. He's just a carpenter. I don't care how he says all this stuff and has all this power. He ain't nobody. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. I hate to break it to you, but that's what people are saying about you locally. But there's some people just a little bit further away who are like, man, if he would just offer me some of that fruit, I'd take it. If she would just offer me some of that fruit, I'd take it. You want the kingdom crop killers to stop killing your crops? Send them regional. This is Matthew 8, 14. When Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. She arose and served them. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. In one place, he can't do anything, and people are just talking and talking and talking. <laughs> and in the other place, people are being brought to him, and he's healing them and touching them. Everybody's filled with the Spirit of God. Because he was regional instead of local. Amen. How many of you can really imagine that happening to yourself? You love the Lord. You don't want to see your crops continue to be killed. You don't want to see your fruit wasted, not only in your own life, but in the lives of others. Could you imagine when people were being brought to you and asking you, where do you go to church? When do you study? Can you pray with me? To the point where Jesus said, there's so many people coming, he had to go on the other side of the lake. Then he, has to, he goes to the other side, they follow him to the other side. Then he says, 
Find me a boat. I'm going to go out into the water. And they're waiting in the water trying to get close to Jesus. Isn't it so interesting that nothing changed about Jesus? All that was in him all the time. It was just something about how he repositioned himself. I'm not so sure that there's major things that need to change in our lives. Maybe there are some people, some places, and some things that need to change. But maybe we just need to replant ourselves. Maybe we just need to reposition ourselves. Maybe we just need to figure out that what's going on locally, praise God. Maybe somebody else, like Peter had a local neighborhood, but Jesus came into his neighborhood. And Jesus handled things there. And then you know what God did, what Jesus did? He sent Peter to other neighborhoods. And Peter had fruit in those places. I wonder if you can see yourself replanted. If you can see yourself sending your fruit out just a little further than you are right now. I wonder if you see yourself addressing the kingdom crop killers in your life from this day forward. Do you know what they are? Do you know who they are? Do you know where they are? Are you willing to address them from this day forward? This isn't one of those ones where I hope that you sit on it and think about it for a while. No, like, I want to leave out of here. And those weeds that have been springing up and sprouting up who are getting real comfortable, they're going to see me with some home defense in my hand when I come out of this church today. (laughs) I hope so. If that's you, let's respond. Why don't we worship? Amen. Let's stand. Kingdom crop killers. You have my permission to those people in your life. Next time you see them, you say, weed! (laughs) Tear! (laughs) Spray them. (laughs) (laughs) Praise the Lord. Why don't we just bow our heads for a second. I want to pray with you guys as we begin to worship. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have seed and you have blessings for our individual lives, Lord God. Things that can be cultivated and that they can come to bear fruit, Lord. They'll nourish our, uh, our souls, Lord God. They'll give us purpose, direction, that they're unique and specific to us, Lord God. But this morning, we also thank you that our lives are the seeds for this world, Lord, that you want to grow something beautiful out of us, Lord, in us, with us, that supplies the needs of this world. It's broken and it's hurting, Lord God. It needs good fruit. You said that we are your seeds, Lord, that you're casting us out wherever it is that you see fit this morning to be a blessing into this world. Lord, we're reminded this morning that all of us were killers before we became good seed, Lord. We are not fooled, Lord. The wool has not been pulled over our eyes. We know how we started and we know where we started, Lord. We were not out there trying to bring life, Lord God. We were out there bringing death. Some of us were doing that on purpose and some of us had no idea what we were doing, but we were doing it nonetheless, Lord. But one day you came to us and you said that we could be changed, we could be forgiven, we could be born again, we could be replanted, we could start all over, Lord God. We could go from being bad seed to being good seed. If we would just put our hope in you, put our trust in you, just ask you to forgive us, Lord. Ask you to deal with our sins. Ask you to change everything in our lives, Lord. 
Oh, what a day that was, Lord. What a moment that was to know that everything could be changed. If you're here in this place this morning and you've never been born again, <clears throat> the simple facts are this. You are a kingdom crop killer. The things in your life are not going to produce life. They're only going to produce death. Things are not going to get better. They are going to get worse. They're going to get worse for you and they're going to get worse for everybody that you come into contact with. Initially, it may taste sweet and feel sweet, but it is going to conceive and bring forth sin. It's going to conceive and bring forth death. But that can all be changed in an instant. <laughs> The Creator says that with a simple decision, everything can be reversed. Everything can start over. He'll give you life instead of death. He'll give you joy instead of mourning. He'll make you one that brings life into others' lives instead of death. He'll give you forgiveness, and He'll take your sins upon Himself to pay for them. Simple decision, if that's you, Never started over, but want to this morning. <laughs> want to make sure that you're not bringing death, but bringing life. Would you just raise your hand? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just you and the Lord this morning. If that's you, let today be the day you start over. Amen. I see you, my sister. <laughs> He's building something beautiful in you. No more death. There'll be life and there'll be joy. Anybody else this morning? Today's your day. Amen. I see you, young man. God is good. The seed he plants in you... <laughs> It can never be taken from you. No matter what happens, no matter what anybody says, it's yours. And it's a seed of life. Hallelujah. Anybody else? Join our brother, join our sister this morning. Hallelujah, Lord. Man, you're so good, God. Lord, we thank you for these two, Lord. One young man, one woman, Lord God, here in this place to say no more death. No more allowing the enemy to do what he wants to do, what he always does, Lord. They put their hope in you, their trust in you, Lord God their faith in you, Lord. We pray that they would be born again. We pray that they would see the fruit, Lord God, of the seed that you planted within them, Lord, the desire that only you can place there, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. We also pray that they would begin right now, this day, this moment, to defend against the kingdom crop killers, not to wait till tomorrow, not to wait till the problems arise, Lord God, but right now, this morning, this day, that they would begin to secure, Lord, all that is that you want to give unto them, Lord God. Hallelujah. So in a second here, we're going to receive communion. I'm going to open the altars, and here's the altar call. Whether you're newly saved, whether you've been here for a long time. If you want prayer for the persons, the places, and the things in your life that need to change, man, this altar this morning is for you. We know where these things lead. We know what the enemy wants to do, but it really is up to you. Replant yourself this morning. Defend against the kingdom crop killers. Don't let them have their way. You have to do something. God will make a way for you. God will meet you if you're willing to come to him. So Lord, we come, we thank you. We ask that you would help us, Lord God. There are people there are places, there are things that seem harmless, Lord, but we're wide awake now. The enemy is not going to catch us asleep this morning. 
No longer will we allow him to come and to bring death and destruction into our lives, Lord, without defending ourselves. We will put security cameras up. We will put lights up, Lord. We will get weed defenders, Lord God, and we will do battle. We will be fully armored, Lord. We come to you asking for mercy in the areas of our lives, Lord, where we've already let it go way too long where the enemy maybe has already stuck to us, where we find ourselves down in some type of pit, in some type of substance, Lord God, where we're stuck. We pray that you would supernaturally do a work, Lord. Relieve us, forgive us, set us free, Lord. Reverse it like only you can. You are not bound, Lord. You are not controlled by the enemy. If you want to set us free, if you want to show us mercy, you can. And we ask you for that, Lord. In the other areas, Lord, for the things that are ahead, we pray that right now, Lord, we, be, we would begin to defend ourselves, that you would keep the enemy at bay. We do this for our own lives, for our relationships, for our children, Lord, for our friends and our family, Lord. Give us the strength, Lord, to just extend ourselves a little bit further, Lord. We've gotten comfortable with the local, Lord. Let us be regional. Let us look for others who are open and willing, Lord, and desire the fruit that you've given us in our lives, Lord. As we receive this communion this morning, Lord, as we pray over one another this morning, Lord, we pray that you would just release your spirit. We do not do these things, Lord, to be seen. We do these things for you to be seen. Show yourself to your people this morning. You said to receive this communion in remembrance of you, Lord. You said that here we are and you are with us, Lord. Meet us at this altar. We come to lay down our sin. We come to lay down our problems. We come for you to give us revelation and clarity on how to deal with the people, persons, people, places, and things, Lord, in our lives that have to change. Have your way moving forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Altars are open. Communion is open. If you want prayer, our prayer team will come and pray with you guys this morning. Don't stay the same. Don't leave without some defense. Hallelujah. From the grave I've been raised When I needed a savior to save me Jesus, you made a way listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.